is not which party controls our government, but whether our government is controlled by the people. For too long, a small group in our nation's capital has reaped the rewards of government while the people have borne the cost. The establishment protected itself, but not the citizens of our country. That all changes starting right here and right now. the show. Let's get started. (laughs) 
Greetings and good day to all you ladies and gentlemen out there. I am Jason, your co-host with our sovereign Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus, at our side because he is the host with the most and the most high. Let's not forget that. He is in charge. He is in the captain's chair and he's at the helm and behind the wheel. Therefore, he is steering this great ship through these crazy rough waters that we call life. So welcome to his hard line. Today is Friday, December 15th, 2023, winding down the year. And you are listening to episode 651. We'll be doing a reading out of Matthew chapter 9, clipping away in the book of Matthew. We'll be continuing our topic of discussion and our reading of the Millennium Report called the Missing 13th Amendment. This is called part three. Daily Disclaimer. Please be advised that I am not a doctor, holistic health expert, financial advisor, biblical scholar, or bar lawyer, and I don't possess any titles of nobility or offer legal advice. And while I am a member of the Michigan General Journal Assembly in good lawful standing, I'm not the official face or voice of the National State or County Assembly. Remember, I do not endorse or advocate for violence, and please note that the opinions, thoughts, and statements expressed on this platform are solely my own and for educational and entertainment purposes, unless otherwise referenced. So there you all go to the Karens and Darrens. And if you do have a name, Karen or Darren, please know that I am not, uh, how should I say it? I'm not poking fun at your names. It's kind of a bit of an inside funny ha-ha joke. If you were in the Michigan Assembly, General General Assembly, you'd understand. But I want to say thank you for joining us on today's broadcast. And if you find extreme value in what we offer and take away solid information and advice, and uh, you like the positive messages here from this platform, hit that subscribe button. Share the show with your friends, family, colleagues, heck, even your enemies. Share it with your enemies. That's cool. And I also want to invite you to go to YouTube, Telegram, True Social, and other platforms like like and share our pages and uh, again share those as well and you can find all that on hishardline.com www.hishardline.com so happy happy friday so there was a movie trailer that i kind of saw when i was scrolling uh i think it was on tiktok and then my mom was telling me about it the other day because she saw and was watching that movie. Uh, what was it? Leave the World Behind. You know, that movie trailer I played the other day on the show. So she went on Netflix and watched it. She said it was okay. It was a good movie. She goes, it, it captured your attention. But um, she said, you know, it, it, it just, it was, you could tell it was a B-rated movie. I said, well, Michael and Barack Obama made it. So, of course, it's a B-rated movie. <laughs> Oh, man, I cracked me up. But uh, she did see the movie and she said it was very interesting. She goes, yeah, it was a little scary. Um, but at, at the end of the day, um, there's, you know, it, it, it was one of those movies again that um, again, she said it was it was not the best produced movie, but it was very scary because a lot of the stuff that was in there, you could tell um, is, you know, happening in today's world. Kind of very interesting. Well, there's another movie that came out and it's called Civil War. Have I don't know if any of you have seen the movie trailer yet. It won't come out until um it won't come out until spring of 2024, so April, I think they're talking about it. It's a very very dark movie. Now, me <clears throat> as a connoisseur, and I know it sounds very, you know, 
official, right? But as a connoisseur of apocalypse movies, because I love movies like that. Like, you know, some people are into Marvel movies. There's people that are into, you know, uh, different types of movies, right? They're into different subjects. Me, I, I gravitate towards movies like The Day After Tomorrow and 2012 and uh, Dragon Day and Red Dawn. Like, I like those types of movies. And, and some people ask me, well, Jason, th- these are pretty these are pretty disturbing movies that kind of project the demise of what would happen to the world or America, particularly, uh, you know, in the event of a bad you know, situation. Why do you like these movies? Do you want to see America fall? No, absolutely not. But see, the reason I like watching these movies is because, you know, there's they put some I've, as we all know, they put a little shred of truth in a lot of these movies. But I also play in my own mind. I, I think about the different scenarios that get played out in these movies. And I wonder to myself, OK, if I was in this situation, how would I react? How would I survive? How would I help my family survive? How could I be resourceful? in a situation when ATMs go down in the event I had no cash or if I was out of state or if I was in an area I was unfamiliar with. I like those movies because, again, it's entertaining for one. But number two, it gets me thinking, how would Jason Jones react in these scenarios? And so it's not that I it's wishful thinking or something that I fantasize about. It's just it's just one of those things like, you know, like there's men out there that like to watch fishing shows on TV, you know, um, they, they try to learn from those shows. So in a sense, I try to learn from these movies and some people might think that's a little ridiculous, but there's a lot you can learn from movies. If you really approach some of these movies, even though Hollywood produces them and Hollywood is evil, you can learn a lot about your enemy by what they're putting out there. Know thy enemy. And so this movie trailer, again, called Civil, it was from, for a movie called Civil War, which is slated to come out in the spring. Um, my question is, what exactly are they trying to put out there? Are they trying to project what they want to happen in America? Or, or is this one big, large red pilling event that gets people to, you know, think and hopefully get more people to wake up? Because I find it very interesting how this gets released or will get released during a presidential election year and to couple this with the movie that just got released on Netflix that everybody's, you know, buzzing about called leave the world behind. And, you know, these are two flicks that really push a devastating demise of the United States of America. I'm glad I'm not the only one that is in this, uh, you know, in this um, arena here because Rietta was saying her and her husband, Donnie, they watched those movies for the same very reason. They watch them for the same reason. So what I want to play is I'm going to play this movie trailer. Now I'll post it. I will post. I think I've already posted it online. I'll, I'll double check, but I'll post it. I'll post it if I didn't, but I'm going to play the audio. So here's, here's clip number one. All right. Cut one. Listen to this movie trailer. United States Army ramps up activity. The White House issued warnings to the Western forces as well as the Florida Alliance. The three-term president assures the uprising will be dealt with swiftly. Let me know if you want to try anything on. I'm just aware there's like a pretty huge civil war going on all across America. We just try to stay out with what we see on the news. Seems like it's for the best. Citizens of America. 
the so-called Western forces of Texas and California have suffered a very great defeat at the hands of the United States military. Mr. President, do you regret the use of airstrikes against American citizens? We're moving to D.C. today. We need to go down there. They shoot journalists on sight in the Capitol. Every instinct in me says this is death. What if? Every time I survived a war zone, I thought I was sending a warning home. Don't do this. But here we are. There's some kind of misunderstanding here. What? Well, you're American, okay? Okay. What kind of American are you? You don't know? <laughs> the Western forces will reach the White House on July 4th. Oh my God. Get in the car! Get in the car! Move, move, move! We're gonna hang back. I'm not hanging back. One nation under God. Indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Go, 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 go. God bless America. That's pretty crazy. That was a pretty crazy movie trailer. I'm not going to lie. I think I might have to go and see that one in theaters. There's not a lot of movies that will get me out of my house and go to a theater, even when The Sound of Freedom came out, um, just because of who produced it. Now, again, I don't need a movie to wake me up. I think that movie was used, I think, of course, you know, to red pill people, to get people to start, you know, wake up to the atrocities of what's going on with human trafficking. But um, this might be a movie that might get me in a theater and i'm not a theater person i don't like settings that you know have very limited exits and it's dark i'm just that's not how i just don't like that not a big fan of it but i might go see this one because this seems to be very interesting but you know as i was watching as i was watching this movie trailer i started it something came to mind so again civil war now, how they portray Civil War is obviously a kinetic war. Bloody guns, military on the streets, air raids and air, you know, bomb drops on American citizens, right? But remember, <clears throat> let's think about this for a second. There is, within our military, an internal Civil War that's going on. Whether we realize it or not, out in the open, there is an internal Civil War because there is still a lot of turmoil going on while at the same time you have good men and women that are, you know, in the military, you know, that are in compartmentalized military uh, branches or, you know, uh, divisions or whatever you want to call them that are doing subterranean warfare to rescue people out, you know, out from underneath, um, under, un, well, underneath our feet, quite literally. Um, there has been write-ups on the amount of money that has been invested in subterranean warfare. Because there is, without a doubt, a lot of treasonous people within certain ranks and, you know, uh, rank and file positions in the military. Uh, those are the people that have sold out to the cabal, right, to the globalists that are, you know, part of their agenda. And then you have the White Hat Military Alliance, the Global Alliance. And these are the global alliances that are we are seeing 
that are being shifted all over the world per the executive orders that Commander-in-Chief Donald John Trump put into place back when he was president of our de facto government of the corporation before it got bankrupt. This is really going to be, 2024 is going to be a very interesting year, to say the least. I really do believe we're going to see a lot of craziness coming up in 2024. But um, is that to say that we're going to be uh, in for a world of hurt? No, I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. But I think we're going to be just fine. But I think it's going to be a very crazy, crazy year. Now, on the topic of being awake, here's a post that I found when I was um, scrolling through some of the pages that I follow. Excuse me. <clears throat> um, Rita was asking, has anyone seen the shift? I have not. I didn't, I've never even heard of it yet. Um, I'll have to check out that movie trailer. Now the shift, I have to remember that. Um, I don't have pen and paper by me, babe, if you can do me a favor, cause I know you're listening. Can you, uh, remember the title, the shift, if you can, so we can look that up. I'm curious now. Um, but I am, I am kind of, she said it's a modern version of the story of Job. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Now I really want to check that out. Um, hold on. My wife is texting me right now. Oh, she just texted me. The, okay. Thank you. <laughs> but there is a uh, telegram post that I saw that I think is going to resonate with a lot of the listeners that come here on a regular basis. So the author is unknown. But I'm just going to read it, okay? We'll just get right into it. It says, to all my friends out there who know what's really going on and to all my conspiracy theorist friends, yes, sometimes it's a curse and not always a blessing to be awake. Awakening is the most liberating, alienating, excruciating, empowering, lonely, confusing, freeing, frightening, expansive journey. If you find yourself struggling as you try to process all this insanity, you are not alone. No one talks about the darkness that accompanies awakening or the grief and not only grieving the life and illusions you once had, but the realization that almost everything you taught you were taught or excuse me, everything you thought you once knew is a lie. The beliefs you've held, people you've trusted, principles you 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 were taught all lies. Shattering illusions is rarely an enjoyable experience. There is a considerable amount of discomfort that comes with growth and the grieving process doesn't stop there. With these newfound realizations, you then find yourself grieving all over again, grieving the loss of many relationships with people who just don't get it, feeling alone, being ridiculed, shamed, not only by the masses, but by, but for many of you, your very own family and friends as well, and feeling like you no longer have much in common with people you are surrounded by struggling with carrying on bull crap they have a different word here um shallow conversations that lack substance with those who are still fast asleep amen to that and even feeling disconnected from your entire support system because they can't see what you see some even grieve the loss of their ignorance because ignorance is bliss and reality is harsh awakening can be a lonely road and you will often find yourself journeying alone. There is no way to sugarcoat it. Awakening to the realities of this world is brutal. It will have you running through the entire gamut of human emotions. You have to master the art of diving down the darkest of rabbit holes, only to come out and still function in daily life. And that's a skill people don't talk about enough. Some of you are struggling with feeling disconnected with family and friends, and it's as though they exist in another world. Please know you are not alone, and not only are you not alone, you have an entire tribe standing with you. 
and we may be separated by miles, but we are deeply connected in a purpose and in spirit, author unknown. I tell you, when I read that, I strongly resonate with that. I strongly resonate with that because while we do our deep dives and we get into these very, very, very dark rabbit holes, you still, you and I, we still have to function in everyday life. And that could be a challenge. That can be a challenge for some, but that is a skill that most people don't discuss enough. You can't put that type of skill on your resume for your job applications. That's a skill that's like, and I'm not trying to be funny here, but for a lack of better terms, that's a skill that, you know, only one could learn in like a martial arts type of setting. Yeah, uh, Rietta, it was on Telegram. I can't remember where it was at. I'll try to find it. If I can't find the original post, I'll I'll copy this text and, and put it on, on, on mine. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it was very interesting. Very, very interesting. I, I liked how it was worded. Now, to piggyback off what that post is, I want to play another audio clip that has that 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 really yokes perfectly with that text. Listen to this. Donkey said to the tiger, "The grass is blue." The tiger replied, "No, the grass is green." The discussion heated up and the two decided to go before the lion, the king of the jungle. The donkey began to shout, "Your Highness, is it true that the grass is blue?" The lion replied, if you believe that it's true, then the grass is blue. The donkey continued, the tiger disagrees with me, contradicts and annoys me. Please punish him. The king declared, the tiger will be punished with five years of silence. The donkey jumped cheerfully and went on his way. The tiger accepted his punishment, but before he left, he asked the lion, why have you punished me? After all, the grass is green. The lion replied, in fact, the grass is green. The tiger asked, so why are you punishing me? The lion replied, that has nothing to do with the question of whether or not the grass is blue or green. The punishment is because it is not logical for an intelligent creature like you to waste time arguing with a donkey. And on top of that, come and bother me with a question like that. The worst waste of time is arguing with the fool and fanatic who does not care about truth or reality, but only the victory of his beliefs and illusions. The moral of this story there are people who, no matter how much evidence we present to them, are not in the capacity to understand and others are blinded by ego, hatred and resentment. And all they want is to be right, even if they are not. Yeah, that's very interesting. All they want to do is argue because they want to be right. I, I thought that was very, very well put. You know, don't waste your time arguing with people. Don't waste time arguing with people. And yeah, I will post this as well. I will make sure I will post all this before I delete it off my uh, my show notes platform that I have here. Um, it, it is a good video. It's a very good video. Um, you know, I know they say TikTok, you know, that it's managed and ran and operated by the you know CCP. I, I get all that. Look, I get it. But you know what? There is I, I find a lot of good stuff on there that you can't find on YouTube. You can't find on Rumble. I'm not a Rumble fan. I hate their technology. I think it's lacking in so many ways. I'm not even going to get into it. YouTube, I still enjoy to use. And yes, I know there's people that have been deplatformed over there. But, you know, I have certain reasons and I think beliefs on why that is. Um, but that's a different story for a different day. But, you know, you find a lot of good little gems over there on TikTok. Whether if it's CCP ran and owned or not, um, here's the thing. 
we use so much technology and we use so much so many things and platforms and 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 you know chat and, and you know ai systems and re uh what do you want to call it um what do you want to call it um uh what is the word it's another word for like the google but um uh search engines that's the word i'm looking for search engine there's so much technology we use out there that's not american based okay there's so many things and softwares and electronics that's that we use that is that has china behind it now i'm not saying all of china is bad i don't believe china is bad but there is definitely obviously some bad elements in china just like there's bad elements here in america like there's bad elements in israel and in the uk and and italy i mean there's bad elements everywhere I think that's why they're getting taken down. But at the end of the day, there's still good gems here that we can use. Okay. And I thought that that was very well worth playing. But don't waste your time arguing with the fool. There, ha there are proverbs in the Bible that even discuss that. Do not waste your time quarreling with a fool. Because they will see themselves as right in their own minds and think you are just a crazy conspiracy nut job. Okay. Um. I'm going to save that audio piece for a different day. Now, <clears throat> I do want to play this. This one is only about, I think, 37 seconds long. I found this, and it really, it, now, I've always knew this internally, and it's something that I've always, I'm, I'm, I'm changing my mindset on <clears throat> and have been. But when it comes to just living life, you know, I've talked to so many people um, in their uh how should I say it? They're golden years, right? It's more seasoned people in life that are of part of the wisdom class. There is one particular guy I'll never forget. I talked to him when I was training him. He didn't last long with where I worked at for a few reasons. Um, just the job was overwhelming for him. But he was a man in his upper 60s. He was about, I don't know, 68, 69 years old. He was pushing 70. But he had worked for a big company locally here um, that that's based, uh, not based, but they have a division here. Uh, Herman Miller, I think that's a nationwide company, but they they have uh, offices here. And anyways, but he worked for this company and he played by the rules. He he invested in his 401k. He worked overtime so much in his younger years when he had a family and he had kids and he did everything that the system taught us to do. Invest. You know, you want to have that American dream. You want to have that white pick bench. You want to have that that nice nest egg at the end of your retirement. This is what you got to do, right? Well, here's here's what he, here's what, oh, Nancy says, oh, oh thanks. Now I'm feeling old. No, please don't feel old. But what I'm saying, though, is this guy, though, and I do apologize. My intent here, first off, was not to offend anybody. So my apologies. That's why I try to, I'm trying to choose my words properly. And sometimes it doesn't always work out. So my apologies. Um, my, my opinion, look, I have in-laws that are in their mid-70s. And they look and feel as young. Well, my mother-in-law, she not so much her, but she she she's got a bum knee that hurts her. But my father-in-law, he's mid seventies and he's still working and chugging along. And man, I tell you, you'd never you'd never think he was in his mid seventies. A guy looks like he's still, you know, mid sixties. It's amazing. They still get around and they do a lot. But this one, but this gentleman that I worked with, um, he he was telling me his life when he was younger. And when he had a family and he was saying that I've played by the rules, I've worked so much overtime that I missed my children's uh, functions and sports and recitals and things like that. He had multiple children. 
Then he said, then the 0809, you know, debacle happened. He lost everything. His 401k diminished down to almost nothing, you know, not almost nothing, but it, a lot of it was lost as it was with everybody. Um, he was laid off. He lost his home. He lost a lot. And the very little that he had left in his 401k, he thought, well, I might as well get my CDL and try to recoup this. I, you know, cause he was under the impression that if you had your own truck, you can make a lot of money. Well, he got his CDL, bought his own truck with the last bit of money he had in his 401k, bought a $130,000 rig. Well, guess what? That lasted all but like six or seven years. Now the truck is parked. And then he went to come work for our company because he couldn't make a go of it. So the long story of it short is he has nothing except a $130,000, $40,000 rig that's collecting dust and rusting out right now until somebody buys it. He's got no nest egg. He missed a large portion of his family's life, particularly his children. And now they're all grown. He can't get those memories back because he's missed them. He's missed the moments. And you can hear a lot of regret in this man's voice. And I, when I heard his story, I was like, wow. Wow. Let me play this audio clip and I'll expand a little bit more on that, on like how I apply that myself. We had somebody pass away in the office. Her desk was cleared out by the end of the week. Bunch of PTO days still on the books. 401k that she's been scrimping and saving for that she'll never get to use. A pension that she was trying to earn that she'll never see a penny from. Bunch of sick time, never took it. Here's your friendly reminder. Live life. That's right. Because one day it'll be gone. Live life. Live life. I couldn't agree with that more. Live life. Look, I'm not saying that a nest egg isn't important. It is important because we got to be self-sustaining when we get older, right? And um, we have to be able to, you know, take care of ourselves. And while I agree in investing, I also agree in investing in a way that you can be self-sufficient with an income that's not derived from the stock markets or, you know, a pension fund. Now, I am blessed with a company paid pension as well as a match in 401k. Now, I'm not going to get into the details of what the Joneses do with our investments, but I will say this. My focus at the moment is more on living life and putting our money. You know what I'm investing in? I'll tell you this. This is what I'm investing in. I'm investing in memories with my daughter and my wife. I'm investing in enjoying our life while we still have the agility and youth on our side, right? Because we always are told youth is wasted on the young. And so I am doing my best not to waste our youth. And I am doing my best to make those memories, go on family vacations, do more, have more family outings, go out to eat a little bit more, have these little weekend getaways, make those memories with Haven and my wife. Because the way I look at it, if Haven is our only kid that we have, which we're working, trying to work at hopefully having another one, God willing. And so please say your prayers for the Jones household on that if you could. But worst case scenario, if we are stuck with just one child and we don't have two, okay, the way I look at it is, okay, in 11 years, she will be of the age that is typically where most children move out and they start doing their own thing. Now, 
I will always allow my daughter to stick around, you know, if she wanted to live with us till 1920, save up some money or whatever, right? To get situated on solid footing. I'm okay with that. My mom allowed me to do that. And I think I would do that too. But even if we had a second child, right? Even if we had a second child, the way I look at it. <clears throat> so if we had a second child and that second child was born right around when I'm about approaching 38, the way I look at it, it's 38 to 48, 48 to 58. Okay. So that's 20 years. So that would put me at 56 by the time the second child would turn 18. So 56 years old. Okay. So I plan on working and staying healthy and I'd, I'd plan on working until about 70 years old, 56 to 66. So that's give me about 14, 15 years to save. And, and keep in mind, I'd be saving in the middle of working anyways. You know, like when our house is paid for and our car is paid for, that's extra money that I would be stashing away, you know? So it's not like I wouldn't be not saving, but at the end of the day, I'd be working another 15, 14, 15, 16, maybe even 17 or 18 years like my father-in-law. And I'd probably haul fuel and drive a truck till about 75, 76. I might not work as hard, right? I won't work, you know, 10 day pay periods. I might work eight day pay periods, right? Because that's what my work allows me to do. I could just work eight day pay periods and just be really relaxed. But the bottom line is I plan on working until I die, right? Maybe not as hard, but I still plan on laboring. But the thing is, I want to make sure I invest in my family and live life today because like Rietta just put right here in the chat, you know, you're not, tomorrow is not, we're not promised tomorrow. And she says, it's the best investment ever, you know, invest in your family. And so that's what I plan on doing. I don't want to have regrets and I'm also going to work hard until I die, you know? So anyways, um, what else we got here? Um, let me scroll down, scroll down. Okay. Last audio piece this, and then we're going to get into the reading. Can you tell it's my day off? Because, you know, typically the shows go a little longer than, than an hour. I, I like what this guy has to say. Listen to this and then we'll get into the reading. I promise you every single person who wants to do something with their life and has done something with their life has gone through the exact chapter that you're going through. And it's the lonely chapter. It's the chapter where you you're, you don't fit in with your own friends, but you don't have the outcomes yet to fit into a new group of friends. And you're doing this thing, you're consuming content on the internet, you're, you're doing these free tutorials online to try and figure out how to set up a podcast and where do I host this thing? And then, and, and you're going through this and you're like, am I, is this even worth it? Because you have no signs of success, right? But if there's anything that you can take away from what we're saying right now is that the sign of success is the hate that you get along the way. And what you can't do is bend the knee to their hate and fit back into the conformity because it's comfortable and it's warm because like in the Matrix, when Trinity opens the door, when, when Neo's about to go take the red pill and he wants to get out of the car, she says, Neo, you've been down that road and you know exactly where it leads. And I know that's not where you want to be. And then he closes the door. Like right now, this moment that you're going through is Trinity opening the door and being like, you could go back, but then you'd have to remember exactly what the reason was that you decided not to go out to begin with just because you listen to this podcast and you consume this content. And you're like, I can fucking do more than this. Sorry for that F-bomb. I totally forgot he even said that at the end of it. My, that was my apologies. Um, but I, I like his passion. I agree with what he says there. Um, he's absolutely right. Um, you know, that's that shift, right? when you make a shift and you make a change to do something more with your life. And when you do that more, that's something more, it requires sometimes of leaving behind certain people. Now that's not to say that you're leaving those people behind because you just stopped liking them. That has nothing to do with liking them or not. 
and it has nothing to do with those people in their character. But sometimes those are the types of people, even the people that we think have our best interest at heart, those are the same people that won't understand our journey. And they'll just sit there and be like, why are you even trying to pursue this? Why are you trying to do this, Jason? Like, that's going to get you nowhere. See, they might mean well, but their words are very negative and they're very, they're, they're impactful in a very negative way. They, what they're trying to do is stop you from wasting your time in what they think is a waste of time, but you see as an opportunity. And so sometimes it requires dropping some of those people who they think they're giving you solid advice, but in reality, all they're doing is being a drain on your energy and your uh, mentality. So sometimes you got to sever those cords. And until you reach a point to where you have a new set of uh, circles and friends, you're kind of in this transitionary period of where you're alone while you're getting your head right, while you're studying, while you're learning, while you're trying to get into the next phase of life, you are in a very lonely spot because the old friends of old won't understand. And when you get into this new situation, the, the new circles haven't been yet established. And so that can be a very lonely time, but it's a time that people really need to focus and hone in on. I, I like what Rietta says right here and, and it's up to her. I don't know if she chooses to put her age up there, but she says, I have never felt so alive as I do now. Lots of relationships changes, but I do, but I know the Lord is guiding me. And I am also thankful for, for his faithfulness. She says she's 66 years old. And by the way, did I read that right? Your father is 85 years old and plays softball twice a week. Wow. Now that is impressive. That's awesome. See, I want to be that guy. I want to be Rietta's father. I want to be that 85 year old man that is playing I mean, I'm not a softball guy, but like kickball, I want to be that 85 year old man that plays kickball and, um, you know, that does all sorts of stuff. I mean, look, my father-in-law, my father-in-law, 75 years old, he still gets out, pulls the kayak down to the lake and he goes kayaking. I mean, that's awesome. That is freaking absolutely awesome. Wow. Good. Good for him. I love that. But yeah, so just, I hope these audio clips help people you know, during these times, because I know it, it can be challenging. It can be challenging. So let's get into Matthew chapter nine. Wow. We're already 38 minutes in the show. Shut up, Jason, move on. All right. Now we're getting into where Jesus forgives and heals a paralytic. So starting with verse one, new King James version Bible is what I'm reading from. And it reads, so he got into the boat, crossed over and came to his own city. Then behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic son, be a good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. And at once, some of the scribes said within themselves, this man blasphemes. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. Now, when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, who had given such power to men. And as Jesus passed on from here, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened 
As Jesus saw, sat at the table in the house, that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat and eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth in an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment, and the tear is made worse. Nor do they put new wine into wineskin, old wineskins, or else the wineskins break, and the wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Now while he spoke these things to them, behold, a ruler came and worshipped him, saying, My daughter has just died. But come and lay your hands on her so she will live. So Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. And suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind and touched the hem of his garments. Now, for she said to herself, If only I may touch his garments, I shall be made well. But Jesus turned around and he saw her and said, Be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that hour. When Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd wailing, he said to them, Make room, for this girl is not, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when the crowd was put outside, he went in and looked and took her by the hand. And the girl arose, and the report of this went out to all the land. When Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be to you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, saying, See that no one knows it. But when they departed, they spread the news about him in all the country. Can't even keep a secret. Jesus told them to keep a secret. They couldn't even keep a secret. <laughs> Continuing with verse 32 with the mute man. So as they spoke out, as they went out, behold, they brought to him a man mute and demon possessed. And when the demon was cast out, the mute spoke and the multitudes marveled, saying it was never seen like this in Israel. But the Pharisees said, he cast out demons by the ruler of the demons? Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then they said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And this is the reading of Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 38. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm just reading a couple comments here. My wife put in the comment chat section here saying it's a lonely at first, but then empowering. 
the narrow gate isn't easy either, but it is my destination and I won't stop for others. That's exactly right. I 100% agree with uh, what the missus said right there uh, with regards to what we were discussing before we got into the reading. It is a very lonely road. And that's why in Matthew, it does talk about the, the wide gate and the narrow gate. The, the awakening process is that narrow gate, leaving people behind that just won't understand the path or understand the truth that's be, be before us. That's the narrow gate that I think is being discussed. That's the path that most people are so scared to walk through because they leave behind or they, I shouldn't say even just leave behind old relationships, but old relationships, you know, people in our family and close circles, they antagonize us. They, they ridicule us, right? Oh, you're such a fool. I can't believe you're doing that, right? They won't understand. But anyway, <clears throat> I agree with that. But today's gospel that we just read here teaches us about um, an incredible power of faith and compassion that's shown by Jesus because he didn't just heal the sick. He also forgave sin, showing his authority over both body and soul. Now, <clears throat> excuse me. Now, remember, though, when the paralyzed man was brought to Jesus, it wasn't just his faith that moved Jesus. It was the faith of those who brought him as well. And this should remind us of how our faith can lift others up, especially in tough times. And what I would say is we need to be those same carriers of faith, supporting each other through life's challenges. And so understanding the teachings of Jesus has been a truly a, a very eye-opening you know, um, topic for me over my past few years of transformation because his emphasis on forgiveness and mercy goes beyond mere words. It's about healing our spirits and the idea of forgiving endlessly. And that's very hard for a lot of people to do. Again, that's part of that narrow gate, right? That my wife was talking about because, you know, the idea of forgiving endlessly in, in most people's minds is very challenging. But we need to do that because it, what it does is it frees ourselves from the weight of anger and resentment, and it's incredibly powerful. And I find that his parables, like the prodigal, uh, the prodigal, you know, prodigal son, can't even speak today. Um, that story is so relatable because that shows us that transformative power of forgiveness, bringing joy and restoration to both uh, the one forgiving and the forgiven. And it's amazing how Jesus connected spiritual and physical healing through forgiveness and mercy. And I personally truly believe that this message of healing uh, through forgiveness remains timeless and universally relevant because it's a reminder that forgiveness has the incredible power to heal individuals and entire communities. And I really believe this. See, there is a few people in my life that I used to harbor very, very resentful feelings to. And, um, one of them, I'll just say it right now. And he doesn't listen to this podcast, probably doesn't even know I even have a podcast, but my own father, and he's a good man. There's a different story there and a different kind of history that a lot of you don't know. And maybe one day I'll get into it. Today is not the day, but I used to be so angered and hurt by this man, by the things he didn't do, even as an adult. And then one day, I finally, once Jesus took a heart, hold of my heart, I stopped, I don't want to say I stopped caring about the things this man didn't do, 
that would bother me. But then I just started kind of opening my eyes a little bit more and I started realizing, okay, he just doesn't see the light yet now. I guess you could say Jesus gave me his set of eyes for a moment to see what he saw. That's why I say my father is a good man. I think he was a good father. We're not perfect. Nobody's perfect. And I think Jesus lent me his set of eyes for a moment to see my dad for what he is and what he could be, but where he's at now, but hasn't reached the destination he needs to be yet, if any of that made sense. So what I guess what I'm saying is I forgave him. He doesn't know that I forgave him. At least I don't think so. He doesn't know that I forgave him. But that forgiveness helped me move forward and to heal continuously in my own life. And it allowed me to also forgive myself for my own transgressions on others in my past as well. And that's where the true healing really comes. And that's what Jesus was trying to portray here. Like my wife just said right here, you exchanged bitterness for forgiveness. And, 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 and so Jesus' approach to outcast and marginalized individuals was very revolutionary for his time. And he actively sought out those whom society deemed unworthy, right? They, they looked at these people like outcasts, and he spent time with them, showing them compassion, embraced them with unconditional love. And his actions were a very profound testament to the boundless nature of his love for all people regarding regardless of their social status or background. See, his intentions with the marginalized of society, whether if it's tax collectors, the sick, or sinners, it highlights the inclusive nature of his love. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're at, what you're wearing, what your job is, what your illness is, come as you are, right? And he challenged societal norms by demonstrating that no one was beyond the reach of his care and compassion. And in doing so, Jesus set a powerful example. He set a precedent for us to follow, a call to welcome and embrace those who might feel excluded or marginalized in our own communities. That's why we need to emulate as best as possible the love of Jesus. And emulating Jesus' love means extending kindness, acceptance, compassion to everyone, especially especially those who might feel left out or rejected by society. Just think about it. You don't like being rejected. I don't like being rejected. Now, I don't care if I'm rejected, but I'll be honest with you. I don't like it. It sucks. And so it involves creating spaces of inclusivity and understanding where everyone feels valued because everyone has value. We may not see the value, but Jesus and God does. And accepted you know, again, everybody wants to not only feel valued, but they want to feel accepted just as they are. And Jesus's message of love without bounds remains a guiding principle for us to embrace diversity, practice empathy, and build communities that reflect unconditional acceptance and care for all people. And he also spoke about fasting, highlighting the need for genuine change over mere rituals, right? And so I would say, let's seek a real transformation in our lives that's rooted in love and compassion because Jesus moved by compassion, healed sick, healed the sick. He comforted the troubled and showed boundless empathy. 
And so I would say today we should take a moment to think about what Christ did, what Christ taught us through the book of Matthew and the other gospels, of course, but and, 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 and find how we can apply those teachings in our own lives. See, it's about holding on to our faith. It's about extending that forgiveness. That's very important. And it's reaching out to those who might be overlooked or marginalized. And we need to actively seek interchange and strive to live with compassion every single day. And I believe these teachings can become actionable steps for us and for everyone around us, for instance, and it could mean actively practicing forgiveness, even when it's difficult and it's going to be difficult. And it's about looking around and ensuring that no one feels left out or ignored, extending that hand of friendship or understanding to those who might need it most, right? Seeking interchange might involve reflection, meditation, all right? Prayer more than anything. Prayer is the biggest thing. I'm not so much of a meditation guy, but I, I like the prayer. Prayer becomes better versions. You know, praying helps us become better versions of ourselves. And so I just think that we just need to do our best to just really be open. Really be open to helping those out there that society as a whole looks down upon. Because believe it or not, at some point, I bet you and I were looked down upon at one point. And if you felt that, it's not fun. It's not fun. But anyway, so that is Matthew chapter 9. So let's do this. We're going to take a quick little break. I'm going to take a sip some water here. Just uh, regroup for a second. And we'll be right back for the second half of the show, The Missing 13th Amendment, Part 3. All right, we'll be right back. Okay. We are back. We are back. We are back. Okay. So there's an audio piece I wanted to play before we get into the uh, missing 13th amendment. Um, I, I saved this for a reason. I can't remember now. I wish I would have played it before I started this show just to remind myself why I put this audio clip. So it's going to be a, a nice little pleasant surprise for me, but um, it must be important because I put it right here in the second half of the show. So let's play this real quick. Oh, no, 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 no. Stop that music. We're done with the music. All right, let's play this real quick. Distance is the only answer to disrespect. Don't react. Don't argue. Don't dive into drama. Simply remove your presence. When you step away from disrespectful situations or individuals, you protect your emotional well-being. It allows you to maintain your inner calm and avoid being drawn into unnecessary conflict. Distance communicates that you have boundaries and expect to be treated with respect. Oh, okay. Now I remember. Sorry about that. I let that play way too much. I wanted to play that at the end of the show, and we're going to keep that for the end of the show. <laughs> There's still more to it. Um, but that was another one I wanted to play. So let's get into the, uh, yeah, boy, I 
tell you what, I need to put more detailed notes below my videos. Uh, leave for the end of the show, dummy. <laughs> Stupid Jason. See, this is the advantage of having a podcast that nobody else, you know, this isn't bought and paid for by any, you know, corporate conglomerate or anything like that. And uh, so I can make these mistakes and guess what? Uh, nobody's going to fire me. That's great. You know, but um, it'll make me look terrible because, uh, you know, my production sucks. Because remember, I don't have a producer. I am the button pusher. I am the producer. I'm the note taker. I'm the guy that, you know, takes in the calls and and uh, and then puts my, you know, voice out there to the public to uh, be, you know, tortured, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so where this is part three of the missing 13th amendment. And again, I'm reading from the millennial report, the or not millennial millennium report. And, um, you could find that again on the national hyphen assembly.net website. Um, so we're continuing on, I'm trying to figure out exactly what page I'm on, but the part that I'm going to start with, it's called the amendment disappears. So it continues to go on by saying in 1829, and for those of you that are wondering, so remember the missing 13th Amendment, that was the people that, you know, it was um, saying that if you held a title of nobility, you were not allowed to hold public office. You were not allowed to be a president or to be a senator or uh, uh, and not really a senator, but at that time, a, uh, a delegate or a statesman or anything like that. You, if you held an allegiance to a foreign power, constitutionally, you're not allowed to hold office. You were deemed incapable at that point. So this amendment, it says the amendment disappears. So in 1829, the following note appears on page 23, volume one of the New York, uh, a revised statutes. And it reads, and I quote, in the edition of the laws of the U.S. before referring to, there is an amendment printed as article 13 prohibiting citizens from accepting titles of nobility or honor or presents others uh, from foreign nations. But by a message of the president of the United States of the 4th of the 4th of February, 1818, in answer to a resolution of the House of Representatives, it appears that this amendment had been ratified only by 12 states and therefore had not been adopted. See volume four of the printed papers of the first session of the 15th Congress, no, number 76. So in 1854, a similar note appeared in the Oregon statutes and both notes refer to the laws of the United States first volume page 73 or 74. Now it's not yet clear whether the 13th amendment was published in the laws of the United States first volume prematurely by accident, but in anticipation of Virginia's ratification or as part of a plot to discredit the amendment by making it appear that only 12 states had ratified. Now, whether the laws of the United States, volume one, carrying the 13th Amendment was recalled or made up is unknown. But in fact, it's not even clear that the specific volume was actually printed in the law library of the Library of Congress has no record of its evidence. However, because the noted authors reported no further references to the 13th Amendment after the presidential letter of February 1818, they apparently assumed the ratification process had ended in failure at that time. So if so, they neglected to seek information on the amendment after 1818 or at the state level and therefore missed the evidence of Virginia's ratification. This opinion, assuming, <clears throat> excuse me, assuming, um, hold on a second, I'm sorry, guys, assuming uh, the, that the president presidential letter of February 1818 was the last word of the amendment 
has persisted to this day. Now, in 1849, Virginia decided to revise the 1819 Civil Code of Virginia, which had contained the 13th Amendment for 30 years, 30 years. And so it was at that time that one of the code's revisers, a lawyer, nonetheless, named Patton, who uh, wrote to the Secretary of the Navy, William B. Preston, asking if this amendment had been ratified or appeared by mistake. Now, Preston wrote to J.M. Clayton, the Secretary of State, who replied that this amendment was not ratified by a sufficient number of states. This conclusion was based on the information that the Secretary of State, John Quincy Adams, had provided the House of Representatives in 1818 before Virginia's ratification in 1819. Now, even today, the Congressional Research Service tells anyone asking about this 13th Amendment this same story, that only 12 states, not the requisite 13, had ratified. Now, however... Despite Clayton's opinion, the amendment continued to be published in various states and territories for at least another 11 years. And the last known publication was the Nebraska Territory in 1860. Now, once again, the 13th Amendment was caught in the riptides of American politics. And South Carolina succeeded from the Union in December of 1860. Now which would then signal the onset of the Civil War. Now, in March of 1861, President Abraham Lincoln was inaugurated. Now, later, in 1861, another proposed amendment, also numbered 13, was signed by President Lincoln. And this was the only proposed amendment that was ever signed by a president. That resolve to amend read. No amendment shall be made to the Constitution which will authorize or give Congress the power to abolish or interfere within any state with the domestic institutions thereof, including that of persons held to labor or service by the laws of said state. So in other words, President Lincoln had signed a resolve that would have permitted slavery and upheld states' rights. Only one state, Illinois, ratified this proposed amendment before the Civil War broke out in 1861. So in the tumult of 1865, the original 13th Amendment was finally removed from the U.S. Constitution. And on January 31st, another 13th Amendment, which prohibited slavery in Section 1 and ended states' rights in Section 2, was proposed. And on April 9th, the Civil War ended with General Lee's surrender. And on April 14, President Lincoln who in 1861 had signed the proposed amendment that would have allowed slavery and states' rights, was assassinated. Now, on December 6th, the new 13th Amendment, loudly prohibiting slavery and quietly surrendering states' rights to the federal government, was ratified, replacing and effectively erasing the original 13th Amendment that had prohibited titles of nobility and honors. Now we get into the significance of this removal. So to create the present oligarchy, which is basically ruled by lawyers, which is uh, which the U.S. now endures, the lawyers first had to remove the 13th Titles of Nobility Amendment that might otherwise have kept them in check. In fact, it was not until after the Civil War and after the disappearance of this 13th Amendment that the American Bar Associations began to appear and exercise political power. Dirty scumbags. And since the unlawful deletion of the 13th Amendment, the newly developing bar associations began working diligently to create a system wherein lawyers took on a title of privilege and nobility as esquires and received the honor of offices and positions like district attorney or judge that only they could hold. 
That doesn't sound very fair or right. And so by virtue of these titles, honors, and special privileges, lawyers have assumed political economic advantages over the majority of U.S. citizens. So through these privileges, they have nearly established a two-tiered citizenship in this nation where a majority may vote, but only minorities, meaning lawyers, may run for political office. And this two-tiered citizenship is clearly contrary to Americans' political interests. Now the nation's economic welfare and the Constitution's egalitarian spirit. Now, the significance of this missing 13th Amendment and its deletion from the Constitution is this. Since the amendment was never lawfully nullified, it is still in full force and effect and is the law of the land. If support, excuse me, if public support could be awakened, this missing amendment might provide a legal basis to challenge many existing laws and courts decisions previously made by lawyers who were unconstitutionally elected or appointed to their positions of power. It might even mean the removal of lawyers from the current U.S. government system. That's right. I'm going to step away from this for a second. That's exactly right. That's why when you have people like Todd Callender that went out there, uh, the guy that goes on all these different, uh, t- uh, not TV shows, but all these different podcasts like SGT Report and all this other, you know, all these other, um, Rietta, have a good evening, uh, good, good morning, good evening. Gosh, what time? It, it might be a good evening, depending if you're in Japan, but have a good morning. She said she has to go, but uh, have a good evening. And yes, we will read your prayer. Thank you. Uh, but this is why, um, what was I just saying? This is why Todd Callender was making mention that the um, people that are in quote unquote office, they don't have any oath of office signed or notarized or anything like that. Why? Because they can't. Ever since the Organic Act of 1871 became void by the people in general general assemblies, particularly the Michigan General General Assembly, it basically put them in check saying, guess what? Um, you guys breach contract from the Organic Act of 1871. Okay. Um, we're stepping up. The people are stepping up in power and we're going to start basically laying down the law. And part of that law is anybody who's a lawyer cannot hold office. So at the very least, this 13th Amendment demonstrates that two centuries ago, lawyers were recognized as enemies of the people and nation. My oh my, how some things never change. Now, those who cannot recall history, They heed warnings of founding fathers. And in his farewell address, George Washington warned us, and I quote, change by usurpation, for through this is one instance, may be the instrument of good. It is the customary weapon by which free governments are destroyed, end quote. In 1878, Thomas Jefferson proposed that we have a declaration of rights similar to Virginia's three of his suggestions were freedom of commerce against monopolies, trial by jury in all cases, and no suspensions of the habeas corpus. Now, no doubt Washington's warning and Jefferson's ideas were dismissed as redundant by those who knew the law, but who would have dreamed that the U.S. legal system would become a monopoly against freedom when that was one of the primary causes for the rebellion against King George III? Yet the denial of trial by jury is now commonplace in the U.S. courts. And habeas corpus and for crimes against the state is suspended. 
And by crimes against the state, I refer to political crimes where there is no injured party and the corpus delecti evidence, meaning, is equally imaginary. And so the authority to create monopolies was judge-made laws by Supreme Court Justice John Marshall and others during the early 1800s. And judges and lawyers granted to themselves the power to declare the acts of the people unconstitutional, waited until their decision was grandfathered, and then granted themselves a monopoly by creating the bar associations. Do you see why we have to reassemble our states, ladies and gentlemen? It's this bullcrap that we have to abolish. It is our right and it is our duty to do so, folks. And although Article uh, 6 of the U.S. Constitution mandates that executive orders and treaties are binding upon the states and the judges in every state shall be bound thereby, anything in the Constitution or laws of any state to the contrary notwithstanding. And the Supreme Court has held that the Bill of Rights is not binding upon the states and thereby resurrected many of the complaints enumerated in the Declaration of Independence, exactly as Thomas Jefferson foresaw in the Notes on the State of Virginia, Query 17, page 161 in 1784. And I quote, our rulers will become corrupt, our people careless. The time for fixing every essential right on the legal basis is now, while our rulers are honest and ourselves united, And from the conclusion of this war, we shall be going downhill. It will not be necessary to resort every moment to the people for support. They will be forgotten. Therefore, their rights are disregarded, excuse me, their rights disregarded. And they will forget themselves, but in the sole faculty of making money and will never think of uniting to effect a due respect for their rights. The shackles, therefore, which shall not be knocked off at the conclusion of this war will remain on us long. And will be made heavier and heavier till the right shall revive or expire in a convulsion. We wait, ladies and gentlemen, we await the inevitable convulsion. When is that convulsion going to happen? I think it's right around the corner. Only two questions remain. Will we fight to revive our rights? Or will we meekly submit our last remaining rights to expire? Surrendering to the courts and perhaps to a new world order. Which is it going to be? Are we going to fight and revive our rights? Or are we going to submit and let the courts and surrender the courts into the new world order? Which one is it going to be, folks? Because quite frankly, I'd rather not uh, surrender. That's why we have to reassemble our states. And if you want to know more information about that, you can go to www.national-assembly.net. That's national, the little dash, assembly.net. Go to the forum section, and you can scroll down to the bottom to where you start seeing states listed in alphabetical order. Find your state. Find out who's in your state. And if you want to know how to get in contact with a communication secretary in your state for the General General Assembly of your state, you can email hardline at gmail.com. Just put your first and last name, what state and county you're in, a basic phone number, and I will forward you to the proper people to get in touch with you if you're in, you know, want to learn more about how to learn about your assembly, your general general assembly process. But just keep in mind, it doesn't mean it's an open invite. We have to screen and vet you because we've had too much infiltration from within. Just like with these, the, just like how the reason why they eliminated the Thirteenth Amendment, they tried to infiltrate from within using 
bar attorneys and secret agents and spies to infiltrate our government, you know, our, our government systems. Well, just the same thing within our assemblies, because the assemblies is where the power of the people lies. And that's where the grand juries are comprised of, you know, composed from, okay, is by the people. Again, the five branches of government, people in general, general assembly. Okay. That's the first and highest branch of government. The second one is the common law grand juries that's composed by the people. And then your lower three branches of government, legislature, judicial, and executive branches. That's why the Constitution exists, is to shackle and bind our public servants to make sure that they don't usurp their powers and they stay in their freaking lane. And they haven't stayed in their lane because they're a bunch of scumbag lawyers. This is why we reassemble, folks. And do not mistake my excitement and my, you know, my passion for anger. I am not angry anymore, but people need to wake the hell up and get your ass in gear because time is wasting and time is of the essence and we need to fix this country, but it's not going to happen while you sit on the sidelines and grab your popcorn and be like, oh, wow, look at all these awesome things happening around me and I have no power to do it. <laughs> no, get your butts in gear. Hishardline at gmail.com. I will forward you to the necessary people to get you in contact with people in your state. But keep in mind, we are vetting properly because, and, and we're, we are very going to, it's going to be airtight because we have a bunch of scumbags trying to do an act of coup with the Michigan General General Assembly that are trying to take down the California Assembly. And they will go down, meaning the people trying to do this act of coup. And make no mistake, it is counted for treason. It is looked at as treason. And they are a disgrace to this country. And they do deserve to be in Gitmo. Just looking down further on this reading. I think that's where we're going to end. Ah, I'll read one more section. More additions found. And it's a short section. And then we'll end it there. So, as we go to press... I've received information, this is the reading now from the Millennium Report, I've received information from a researcher in Indiana and from another in Dallas who have found five more editions of statutes that include the Constitution and the missing 13th Amendment. These editions were printed by Ohio in 1819, Connecticut, one of the states that voted against ratifying the amendment, 1835, Kansas in 1861, and the Colorado Territory, 1865 and 1867. And these fines are important because they offer independent confirmation of Dodge's claims, the guy that was researching. And they extend the known dates of publication from Nebraska of 1860, Dodge's most recent fine to Colorado of 1867. And the most intriguing discovery was the 1867 Colorado Territory Edition, which includes both the missing 13th Amendment and the current 13th Amendment, freeing the slaves on the same page. And the current 13th Amendment is listed as the 14th in the 1867 Colorado edition. So this investigation has followed a labyrinth path, uh, excuse me, a, yeah, a labyrinthine path that started with the questions about how the U.S. courts evolved from a temple of the Bill of Rights to the current star chamber and whether this situation had anything to do with retiring Chief Justice Berger's warning that we were about to lose our Constitution. My seven-year investigation has been fruitful beyond belief, and this information on the missing 13th Amendment is only a drop in the bucket of the information I've discovered, and still, the research continues, and by definition, is never truly complete. And that right there, folks, is where we're going to end at.
Okay. Now, again, let me scroll down real quick. So we're, we're almost getting to the end of this millennium report. It's like 43 pages. I would say we probably have about another 13 to 15 pages left, I think roughly ish. But, um, folks, this is why we need to assemble. This is why we have to assemble. This is why we can't sit on the sidelines anymore. I know I keep saying this, Jason, you keep saying this day in and day out. You need to reassemble. You need to reassemble. You need to reassemble. You need to reassemble. I know I keep saying that. And you might be sick of saying, hearing it. And you might be already involved in your general general assembly in your respective state. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for not sitting by the sidelines. But we also, I can't be the only one saying this. You have to talk to people. Ask people, what does Article 4, Section 4 say in the Constitution? Regarding how we are guaranteed a Republican form of government, what does that look like? Challenge people. What does a Republican form of government look like? Oh, gee, uh, I don't know, but I know we have a republic. <sighs> what does that look like, Jethro? What does a republic look like? See, they bank on us being stupid. They bank on us being simpleton, you know, idiots. They bank on the public being ignorant dipsticks. We are not ignorant dipsticks. We are not simpletons. We are not. What did Hillary Clinton call us? We are not. Uh, we're not deplorables. I'd much rather put my faith and trust in the hands of a farmer being the president of our country than a political uh, bureaucratic blood-sucking leech bar lawyer. Because at least the farmer is going to have the love in his heart for his American brothers and sisters in this country, whereas the blood-sucking leech scumbags who hold a, an allegiance to another foreign power are going to have nothing in mind but sucking our pockets dry of our capital, of our money, and manipulate our laws and to put shackles around us while at the same time trying to shred the Constitution, which puts shackles around our public servants. That's not how that works. We, the people, created the Constitution because we, the people, created government. Government did not create itself. Government did not create the people, just like we never created God. God created the people, and the people created government. And these people think they're over us? Kiss my ass. These people don't have, they, these, don't, these people don't run our lives. We run their lives. We are the boss. We are America's CEO. We the people. People need to wake up. Share this podcast. Share this platform. This can't be any more of a serious, dire situation than it is now. And the longer people stay asleep, the more we're going to keep seeing this nonsense play out. And the more they're going to try to usurp and, 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 and trespass over us. They're going to try to trespass on us. They're going to try to get their corporate agents into our de jure governing systems. And they're going to try to destroy our general general assemblies. Why? Because they know when that finally hits 38 states, we're able to flex our muscles because that's three quarters of the states. 
They don't want that, ladies and gentlemen. So it's up to you and I to put this information out. Are you ready and are you willing? Here's that audio that I wanted to save for at the end of the show. Here it is. Distance is the only answer to disrespect. Don't react. Don't argue. Don't dive into drama. Simply remove your presence. When you step away from disrespectful situations or individuals, you protect your emotional well-being. It allows you to maintain your inner calm and avoid being drawn into unnecessary conflict. Distance communicates that you have boundaries and expect to be treated with respect. It sends a clear message that disrespectful behavior is not acceptable. Reacting to disrespect can often escalate a situation, leading to further conflict. By choosing distance, you prevent the situation from getting worse. Sometimes creating distance gives the other party an opportunity to reflect on their behavior. They may come to understand the consequences of their actions and make amends. Remember, removing yourself from a disrespectful situation is a powerful act of self-care and self-respect. It doesn't mean you are weak. It signifies your strength in prioritizing your well-being and maintaining your dignity. That's right. Understand where you need to edit the relationships in your life. Sometimes it might require a deletion from someone that's really toxic, but most of the times I would say at the very worst, you just need to edit your relationships, respect yourself, distance yourself from those who want nothing more than to, you know, um, that want nothing more than to, you know, diminish your dreams or diminish the progress of what you're doing by self-improving yourself distance yourself from those people because you have no room for those types of people. So with that, yeah, my wife says it best right here and we've all heard it. Misery loves company. That's exactly, that's exactly it. Misery does love company. Now let's get into the prayer. So I I hope this was a, a, a very informative and positive show for all of you guys. I really do. And and uh, I appreciate you all coming here for the live uh, early here in the morning for some of you, I'm sure. And, um, you know, for some of you that are you know, those that download the show, thank you. Really appreciate that. Um, but at the end of the day, I like I said, my, my goal is to make sure I put out the best information I possibly can. I'm not going to say it's the best produced show in the world. Okay. And yes, I know I have some polishing up I could do. You know, my speaking and my speech patterns aren't what you would call you know, uh, top notch. Um, I'm always working on it, of course, and I do my best to do better. And thankfully I got a wife, um, who corrects me whenever I speak really terrible. She's like, "Uh, uh-uh, no, don't say that. Don't say that. That's, that's, that's incorrect. <laughs> but I I'm glad that you guys are all here and thank you for the, the kind words, April. I really appreciate that. I heard you were in Belize. That must be nice. Take some pictures, post it on the telegram. That'd be awesome. I think it was you, right? You're the one in Belize. I think, yeah, nice and warm. Yeah, rub it in, rub it in. Well, you know, I can't say much. It's about, it it hit 50 degrees up here. It hit 50 degrees up in good old Michigan. But uh, yeah, take some pictures, put it on the, uh, I don't know if you were in part of the His Our Line group chat on Telegram, but wherever, post pictures. I want to see some nice pictures of Belize. My wife and I, we thought about that one time, uh, moving to Belize. 
we heard that the way of life for uh, people in Belize is very slowed down. Like if you are a person that's in a rush or always in a hurry or trying to get things done, right? And you're just trying to go, 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 go. That is not the way of life for people in Belize, I heard. Like they just, you know, clip along at their own pace. I, uh, that's what I, that's from our research. Uh, we don't know anybody down there in Belize, but I don't know if you can corroborate those facts as being true, but that's what we heard. That's what we heard. But uh, anyway, so um, Heavenly Father, <clears throat> we thank you for another day of life. Thank you for the many blessings that you bring to us. Thank you for the lessons that uh, you provide to us in the Gospels and what Jesus did and what, you know, we just pray that we can emulate the actions of Jesus. We pray that we be that guiding light for other people to embrace those that are looked down upon by society. And we ask that you lend us your eyes in certain circumstances. When we see things in our own way, we ask that you lift the veil and give us your perception so that we can have more understanding on what others are going through. And we also ask that you keep guiding us you keep protecting us and we will keep asking for forgiveness. Keep, we, we just ask that you, you lend your grace to us. And we pray for those that are dealing with hardships. And Rietta adds to the prayer here. <clears throat> Father, we are so thankful that you have called us your children. We have great hope for our, our eternity with you. We also know that you work all things together for the good or for those who love you and those called according to your purpose. Lord, guide us, guide each of us with your wisdom and discernment and let us be a light in this dark world. And you alone, Lord, are our God, our Savior and our everything. And we pray all this. Oh, and, and, let me make sure I'm not missing any other prayers. But we also pray, I want to send out a special prayer for my buddy at work, his son, who is dealing with some issues at school in college. We pray for his situation to be resolved. In your son's name, Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you all have a great day, great night, wherever you're at in the world. Uh, April was saying right here, hold on, before I close out the show, she said, it's like stepping into a time machine and going back to the 60s and 70s in the U.S. I bet that's pretty cool. I bet that's pretty cool. I would love to take a trip to Belize. I think that'd be really neat. So I hope you all have a great day, great night, wherever you're at in the world. And um, I think um, I might do a show. I might do a live show tomorrow morning. I'm not sure. We'll see. Depends how I feel. I don't know. We got, I got my niece. I got my two nieces and my sister-in-law coming over with my mother-in-law. And all the girls are going to be making Christmas cookies in the kitchen uh, tomorrow, which is going to be awesome. Um, and, but, uh, my wife says probably not tomorrow. Okay. So I'll see you probably Sunday. The, the boss has spoken. Wait, 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 wait. I got to do it. My, my, my blust, my, uh, my, my God voice, right? The God effect. The wife says probably not tomorrow. All right. I'll, I'll go with that and get to sleep in a little bit, but, uh, I'll be cleaning my guns tomorrow. I've been putting that off. I need to clean and oil up my guns. So, um, They've been sitting in the gun cabinet, so I'm like, eh, I probably should clean and oil them up because me and the missus have been wanting to go to a firing range lately and pop a few rounds off. So 
Uh, we just got to do that probably after Christmas. So, well, all right, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you have a great day, great night, wherever you're at in the world, and we will see you next time. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, remember, ladies and gentlemen, we are firm, we are steadfast, and we are uncompromising. The enemy has crossed that line for the last time. It is up to people like you and I to hold that line. They've crossed the line way too many times, and it is time for us to stand up this republic and get after it. We gotta do this for God. We gotta do this for our families. We gotta do this for America, for the voiceless. It's time to get after it, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining the show. Forget to check out the website www.hisheartline.com. And if you want to know more about how to get involved with your assembly, go to www.national-assembly.net. That's www.national-assembly.net. It's time to get active, ladies and gentlemen. Let's go.
Thank you for joining us here at His Heart Live. We'll see you back here next time.